Welcome to Pacific Mammal Research's Marine Mammal Highlight Series. We are a research and education nonprofit studying marine mammals in the Salish Sea off Washington State. In this series, you will learn about different marine mammals as we discuss the interesting facts about each species and debate which one we think is the best. Of course, we think all marine mammals are awesome. This is just our way to geek out, share some information, and have some fun. We hope you enjoy this series, and if you want to hear about a particular marine mammal, let us know in the comments. And without further ado, welcome to the next uh, Marine Mammal Highlights episode. This week we are going to be, uh, it's about lunchtime, so we're going to talk about foraging strategies. Now <laughs> you're foraging right now, you can forage with us. Um, so we're going to be talking about three different unique foraging strategies. There, there are a lot in the marine mammal world, um, so there's plenty to choose from. So we're just, we may, and we may do more of these because there are some pretty cool ones to talk about. Um, but this week we decided to choose uh, the, cat you're going to talk about? I'm going to talk about the sperm whale. Deep diving sperm whale. Mm -hmm. Then Trevor. I'm going to talk about the crab eater seal. The crab eater, which may or may not be eating crabs. And then I am going to be talking about the uh, bottom feeder gray whale, which are uh, all very, very cool and very unique uh, strategies and, and what they eat and how they eat it. So without further ado, let's get right into it and we'll start off with the sperm whale. Yeah. So I don't know about you guys, but I think that sperm whales are possibly one of the coolest marine mammals. Like they're just they're wild epic. looking. Yeah. They're well, epic they have looking. a tiny little jaw and like giant right? big forehead and it's like, what? <laughs> And they, they dive to like ridiculous depths and they really don't spend a ton of time at the surface because they spend most of their life diving. It's They can hold their breath for hours. It's like, mm -hmm. yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> pretty cool. Actually, fun side note, I actually saw a sperm whale when I was a kid growing up. There was one that came um, into the stretch of water right below our house and I think it was, they think it was a juvenile who mm -hmm. unfortunately had likely come in to die because it was right. not very well looking, but we got half an afternoon off school to go watch it as a class. <laughs> Done. That's not yep. science right there. I science, know. So science class. That was that was like the best day, well, half day, I guess, off ever. Um, so yeah, sperm whales. Um, their Latin name is Physeter macrocephalus, which literally means so Physeter is the family name. Um, they also have the pygmy sperm whale and the uh what's the other one? The dwarf sperm whale and the pygmy sperm whale? Think so. Uh, think so. I, I got to do a necropsy on a pygmy sperm whale once. That was pretty cool. Ooh, mm -hmm. There you go. That is cool. Um, so these guys are obviously the biggest of the family, and macrocephalus literally refers to their unusually large head. <laughs> macrocephaly <laughs> is like a legit medical condition where you have an unusually mm -hmm. large head size. So that's basically why they were called that. Yeah, macro um, meaning big, and then cephala meaning head. Correct. And their large head makes up one third of their body size. So it is a very, very large head. Um, and it mostly contains spermaceti, which is a really waxy oil substance. And that was used as an uh, oil for lamps and lubricants and candles. And that's also why the sperm whales are one of the most largely and widely hunted whales in the 19, uh, 18th and 1900s, um, inspiring classics like Moby Dick, um, several other books about whaling. A lot of times the nemesis of the whalers was some very large sperm whale who was um, irrationally mm -hmm. aggressive. 
Oh, um, oh, irrationally though? I think it's pretty I mean, rational. There is that. <laughs> Good point. Good point. I retract that comment. Um, so sperm whales are still listed under the Endangered Species Act. They're still listed as endangered, um, although their populations are now slowly recovering. Um, and they're found in all deep oceans around the world. So they actually have one of the widest global distributions of any marine mammal. Um, yeah, and like I said at the beginning, they spend more than 70% of their time foraging in those deep waters. Oh. Yeah, I mean, so most, most cetaceans spend most of their time underwater and not as much at the surface, but that's an, an even more extreme Version of that. Yeah, I mean, it's almost more like the beaked whales that we talked about in our previous episode, you know, where they spend like the, a vast majority of their life in deep water. Um, well, I mean, you, have to, you have to spend an hour diving down to get to your food. Right, there is yeah. that. <laughs> um, so their dives typically last on average between 30 and 50 minutes. Um, and I actually read several papers that said that the average dive time was 45 minutes like across the board. So that was kind of interesting. Um, typically they're diving to depths of about 400 to 1200 meters. Um, so pretty wide depth range too. Um, and obviously at depth, they are foraging on some slightly different critters. So they will take fish, um, but they actually mostly eat cephalopods. So typically squid, um, cephalopods are any squid or octopus species. Um, they will also eat sharks, skates, and rays if they can get them. Yeah. I did not know that. I, basically I did not know that either. Assimilate, you know, assume them with squid and the giant, you know, big squids. But right. It's surprised right. there's skates in that level of water too, or rays even. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that might be like when they're like more slightly shallower. farther up in the water might be column. An opportunistic yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, and it was really interesting actually because, again, like I sort of associated with them with giant squid. That's what you always right. hear about from the books and everything. Sperm whales eat giant squid. And so and that those, like, is models true. where the squid's like, right. Right. So that is true. And a lot of the scars on older sperm whales are from the suction cups of their prey that either got away or were consumed, but fought first. <laughs> right. Um, and one of, the, one of the reasons that these guys can even take giant squid, which are themselves pretty big, is because sperm whales are huge. Like they grow up to about, it's about 40 meters, I believe, or 40 feet. Um, I don't think they're larger, I would think 40 feet. I think it's 40 feet. I, of course, did not write down the uh, units on my but they're basically they're large enough that they could actually take on yeah 40 feet for, uh 52 okay, feet for for males so actually yeah. 40s on the lower end yeah. right okay perfect um and they they get their prey by using their very large conical teeth which cindy i was going to ask you and i forgot <gasps> We actually have one. We have a juvenile sperm whale tooth that we use in our education um, efforts. So we Let will, see if I can find it. Cindy will go look for that right now, a visual. Um, and they're pretty intimidating looking. I mean, their teeth are very large and um, that is what they can use to grab these wily uh, giant squid. Did you find it? I did. Actually, have a good. Because I organized the office, I actually can. Perfect. So the juvenile sperm whale tooth, for those of you who are listening to this on the podcast, it's about three and a half inches. Yeah, about that. About three and a half inches. It's almost like the size of, a, of one of my fingers. You know. Yep, like the middle finger length. Yeah, it's, it's kind, kind of a scary a looking bit. tooth. Yeah. yeah, and that's a juvenile one, so these are bigger. Right, and they actually only have teeth in their lower jaw, which I thought was interesting. They do not have oh, teeth in the upper jaw. Yeah, I thought it was so weird. Like, and they, don't they have like sockets where the teeth like fit up yep. into it when they close yep. their mouth? What, did they just like squish the prey up top with the teeth on the bottom? Yeah. Huh. 
Well, they're mainly, cool? they're mainly they're mainly sucking, right? That's mainly a suction. With sperm whales, not yeah, necessarily. I thought they, they sucked. I thought they sucked and they grabbed, but they also sucked to get it in. Well, well, I guess it's a combination of the two. Yeah. So they they but they use those teeth to like grab the prey and hold it secure right. until they can actually consume it. Hmm. So yeah, I guess it, I guess it's kind of a combination of the two. Yeah. Um, and they have to consume between 900 and 1,000 kilograms, which is around 2,000 pounds of food every day oh, yeah. to be uh, energetically okay, basically. <laughs> um, typically, sperm whales are solitary hunters, although they have been known to work together to corral fish into bait balls. Um, and again, because they're foraging at depth, it's very much like what we talked about with the beaked whales. They're mostly using their echolocation um, which is a type of sonar that um, cetaceans use to hunt for prey um, because they're foraging in the dark or near dark, the majority Right, of the yeah, time. you're down that, that, that far down, there's no light. Right, so actually sperm whale sonar is the loudest in the entire animal kingdom. Whoa, I didn't yep. know that. We were just yep. talking about blue whales in, our, in the other episode about how loud they are, one of the loudest animals on earth. Right, and so the sonar specifically, the clicks of the sperm whale okay. are apparently the loudest on, on in the mm. animal kingdom, which is super cool. So again, because they're foraging at depth, we actually don't know a lot about their foraging based on visual observations. Most of it comes from tags, um, sonar mm. studies, and other basically technology items that we've developed to study what they're doing at depth. So one of the main ones they use is D-tags, which suction cup onto the animal. And then they give the pitch and the roll of the animal, like we talked about actually in our um, our previous podcast about a, a paper that we talked about. Um, D tags give you a huge mm -hmm. amount of information on what the animal is doing at depth, and they also record sound, so you can record their sonar clicks, and then you hear those terminal buzzes, which happen right before they attempt to catch a prey item. So it's pretty interesting. And again, like like I said, I was kind of floored by the fact that like they don't just eat only giant squid. I got it. I know. I, mean, I, I knew they, like I knew they ate fish, but. I knew they ate fish, but the sharks and rays and stuff, that was, that was totally new to me. Yeah. Well, and remember they had that, um, that recent video where they actually have video of them eating a giant squid mm -hmm. at death. It's the first time they got that video, but I was a little disappointed because I was ready for like, you see the squid and he eats it. And it's just like this white, like blob of animal. Flesh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of mush. It, but I mean, so you know that they're, 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 they don't know what depth they're at and they know that that's what they're eating, but it, it wasn't quite as exciting as I was hoping it to Anticipating. Be, well, and this yeah. is the thing, right, is it's kind of like the sperm whale giant squid dynamic is one that, like I said, because it's been such a big part of the literature, yeah. I think we kind of all have it magnified in our head that it's this huge, you know, that's all they eat and it's this epic oh, battle every time. Right? And I'm sure it is. I mean, obviously they're not an easy prey species to try to, you know, catch every time, but... Yeah, it was just, it was yeah. very interesting just reading that they actually do take other things, so. Which is good for them because uh, yeah. I'll talk about it a little bit later, but yeah, if you're only eating one thing, you're, you're putting all your hopes on, and as we talked about with the orcas, you know, you right. put all your hopes on one thing, that thing goes away. It's not good for you. Right. So yeah, that is the, uh, that's the sperm whale, deep divers and feeding very on loud squid and sharks and rays. Cool. With their they were cool teeth. before, now they're just even cooler. <laughs> yep. Oh, and right. I am drinking from my giant oh. whale mug right now. All right, so I'm drinking all there. my tea with my with the large-headed whale mug. So there you go. <laughs> awesome. 
All right, so now we've gone, we're gonna flip it up, flip the flip it to the pinnipeds and go to the crab eater seal, which I believe is a name misnomer. But it Trevor is. will tell us about it. The crab eater seal does not eat crab. They can. Psych. They <laughs> so their scientific name is sorry if I butcher this, but it's Lobodon carcinophaga, which means lobe-toothed crab eater which I'm guessing they may have called that that, assuming they ate crabs at the time. But lobe tooth because their teeth are have about five, four or five cusps that look, are just lobed, which I'll get into more later. Uh, is, it, is it like when we talked about with the leopard seal? Because they have like the, they also, I think, feed on stuff that, that they do and they have like those little lobulated. I think it's a little different. I think it's more like a comb, okay. which I'm sure you right. want to put a picture of it on here, but. Um, the main diet for that, for the crab eater seal based on those, that teeth structure is actually krill. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that's the only pinniped that focuses on krill for their source of food. Well, so that's what I was saying with the, the leopard seal does, but it, I guess it depends on if you're saying they, that's all that, that's their main source versus, because right. the leopard right. seal does oh, both. Yeah. yeah. Cause they'll eat but penguins. 90% of their that. diet is krill. Yeah, I would suspect because I mean I didn't know until the like learning about these ones any pinnipeds that eat krill because it's not something you like. You, they have canine teeth, so they eat fish. And, yeah, you think they eat fish, right? I mean, you think of a sea lion eating fish, but or a seal, but these guys eat krill. Yeah, weird. Cool. So because of that, they are the most populous seal in the world. Really? But I at, had no idea. So they live all around Antarctica, and. Current estimates have them at seven million individuals. Well, so but, they're so far away from everything, it's hard for yeah, us to they hurt them. Think there might be some <laughs> estimates actually have them at fifty to seventy-five million. Wow, really yeah. ridiculous! I had no idea. Seal. And they this thought, one, like you don't even know about. It. Like, I mean, that's not a normal seal or sea lion that people would be like, no. "Oh yeah, a crab eater seal." <laughs> yeah, of course, know about them. In terms of polar regions Antarctica is doing is more stable than the Arctic up north too so the sea ice right. isn't melting nearly as much if at all which right. they're still trying to figure out why but the crab eater seal is I mean it's found on ice flows but they've also found them 60 miles inland really some of, some of the younger ones and they think huh. it's because they're just lost and they go all the way <laughs> inland looking for water going the wrong way I know it's kind of dark too, but it's just they've been mummified by the cold winds up there. Oh my god! That's how they keep finding them at like so far inland. Wow. So this reminds me of when you just said you're going the wrong way. It reminds me of plane, uh, planes, trains, and automobiles. I think with John Candy and Steve Martin, and they're driving the wrong way on on the road, and they don't realize it. And they, these like, people pull up on the side and like you're going the wrong way, and they're like how do we know we're going the wrong way? They don't know where we're going. Of course we're going the right way. You're going the wrong way on the road. <laughs> it's, a, it's a funny bit if you want to look that one up, but I might do that. That's crazy. Yeah. No, I mean, to go all that far inland, that's crazy. They must like get, I don't know, maybe a mile in, just have no idea where to go from there and just keep on going and going and going. Well, it's like people get, people get lost in the forest, right? You keep going, you're going a mile in, and then you turn around, and then you don't know where you are. I'm going to keep going this way, and you end up going the wrong way. And right. also, you're in Antarctica, and there are very <laughs> few actual landmarks except for white. Right. Oh, I've seen that piece of ice before. <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's crazy, though. I had no idea. Yeah. It's really interesting. 
There's no krill up there. No, exactly. So yeah, they the krill, there's so much krill in Antarctica that they think that's why the population is booming so much. Okay. And another possible reason is since we whaled so many whales, the competition uh, is so much less for krill. That's meaning true, they are kind of yeah. well, taking the opportunity and growing so much. So what they do with the feeding is essentially they'll go into a ball of krill with their mouth open and then just close it in front of them and then they strain the water out kind of like baleen on a whale mm -hmm. and the teeth kind of interlock with like the comb-like structure of the teeth so the water can escape but the krill can't right and so yeah it's exactly it. like baleen that's just so neat they're just thing. with teeth instead and they'll opportunistically eat some fish and some shrimp and i think occasionally crab shocker <laughs> but <laughs> they'll focus they focus on shrimp for the most part all right or not shrimp but krill. Krill. Yeah. shrimp like creatures right they are that's wild though i had no idea and they don't have a ton of i mean orcas are the main predator but leopard seals will eat them too okay, well, i guess 80 percent of pup deaths are from leopard seals oh. well if they're so plentiful too like yeah, leopard seals would be like yeah sure okay million, good. Yeah. delicious yeah they're Crazy. I think they're the only pinniped that focuses on krill and then with the unique teeth structure to feed on them. Yeah, I mean, I would, I wouldn't, I'm not a pinniped full expert knowing all of the seals and sea lions there are, but I would be hard pressed to think that there's any that do that. I have a question. Did they indicate whether um, the crab, like where the crab eater seal falls in terms of the origins of pinnipeds? Like, are they one of the more ancient um. forms? Because I know that leopard seals are. And that was a thought in terms uh, think, of their teeth development. Hmm. I think so, because I think they're within the same family as that's what I was seals, wondering. Which would make sense, yeah. There was yeah. four that were in the same family. They were one of those four. Or leopard and crab eater were in the same. Gotcha. Right. Interesting. So I wonder if krill eating was actually one of the most like baseline foraging strategies for pinnipeds, possibly. Right. And then maybe really they just kept it leopard. Yeah. It, it more meat. <laughs> it, it would be also interesting too, speaking of, you know, whales being whaled and, and there being more food and stuff. So is there a link of when the, when they diverged into eating more fish and away from the krill as that was the same time as the baleen whales got bigger and bigger, like we talked about the blue whale got bigger and bigger right. and bigger because of that foraging um, uniqueness that then yeah. that kind of pushed it like, oh, okay, yeah, everybody else is going to go for the fish because the whales are taking all the, all the krill. Exactly. Yeah. That would be something for an evolutionary biologist, which we are not. <laughs> but if you are and you're listening, leave us a comment. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us how we're right or wrong. Is more um, accessible too. You can totally do photo ID of these guys too. Because they have oh, so many yeah, for sure. trying to get them. Uh, so are there are they spotted? They have some spots. Okay. I'm not sure if they change when they molt or not, but right. They have scars all across their necks from being attacked as pups or even adults uh, okay. from leopard See, and the, and the, the scars are really great, but at the same time, the, that means you really do have to get those pictures consistently because those Frequency, scars can yeah. change as they get new scars and things like that. More you can and more. lose an animal. Yeah. But unfortunately, Ooh. their habitat is super remote. <laughs> so. And hard to get to with sea conditions. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But that would be that's cool really cool though well imagine could you imagine that catalog though oh yeah uh, i was just know, gonna say i was just gonna say like animals. oh yeah by the way <laughs> or like anything over a few hundred is like woo, okay that's pretty big that's, that's a lot to remember 
but that would be awesome. really cool. Interesting. Okay, so we've done the sperm whale that dives deep, the crab or seal that does not eat crab. And now we're going to be skimming the ocean floor, going to the gray whale. So I don't actually don't know how to say their name. It's like Escritius Robustus. I think it's Escritius. Escritius, yeah, that sounds right. Escritius Robustus. Uh, very robust animals. Um, so as uh, this is actually a good segue into it from the way that the crab eater uh, seal eats, is that's the way, uh, as we said, most, most baleen whale um, baleen whales eat, where they open up their mouth in the water column, taking in large swarms of fish or krill, um, take all that water and food, then push out the water, the krill and fish get stuck in the baleen, and then they get to eat that. So the gray whales are um, baleen whales, um, but they do, they have a slightly different way of doing things. So instead of feeding in the water column, they're the only ones, I believe, that eat on the seafloor. So instead of taking some nice pristine water and fish, they get dirty and they go down to the bottom of the seafloor and they will basically go onto their side and they'll do it in shallow water. So you can actually oftentimes when they're doing it, see their flippers flinging up in the air as they're swimming along. Like, da, 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 da. Um, and so they, instead of getting just the water, they get the water and the sediment. So sand, mud, gravel, whatever sediment is on the bottom. Um, and so they scoop all that up and then push it out the side. So instead of the water coming out, you have mud plumes basically <laughs> coming out of their mouths. So I've always found that one interesting because could you imagine eating your food with a with a side of mud or actually eating mud with a side of your food is really probably kind of get some great minerals in there. Yeah, you know, mm, delicious. Um, but they're so they're actually feeding on um, benthic, so that's the seafloor, and epibenthic, so things are just above the seafloor or on top of. Um, and mainly invertebrates, so amphipods and isopods, which are very small uh, crustaceans, um, polychaete worms, um, some mollusks um, that are all basically in and around the seafloor. Um, their baleen is uh, shorter, so there's lots of very ranging things of baleen. Um, some are really long, like the Arctic bowhead one is, is like over six feet tall, and it's very, the hairs are very thin and very sparse. Yeah, but it's very like slender, fine hair kind of. And pardon me, I will get you some baleen. We actually have this is the show and tell baleen. episode, folks. I don't. I, I didn't even think about it either. <laughs> yep. So this is the gray whale baleen. So they have 130 to 180 of these plates, and you can see in the back here, each one of these is a little plate that gets kind of fused together. And then this is all very coarse. It feels like um, spaghetti, dry spaghetti, or a uh, broom is uh, oftentimes what people say it feels like. Um, and it's and it's pretty thick too. You can see how thick right, that like part yeah, is. like each strand is kind of like a piece of angel hair spaghetti when it's still dry in terms of yeah. Thickness. And then you pack a whole bunch of those together. Yes, Trevor. Put <laughs> <laughs> yourself. I assume. Um the baleen continually grows kind of like her fingernails because I feel like it would get damaged a lot with the mud and such. That is a great question and I actually don't know the answer to it. I would assume so because it is keratin. It's made up exactly. of the same thing as your yeah. hair and your nails. So I would assume that it could. Um, I mean it's definitely a bit more less rigid or brittle when it's in the water. Um, yeah. But yeah, I would I would assume so because if it would break, that would be pretty 
bad thing to not have anymore. Right. <laughs> um, so that's your gray wheel bailing. Uh, and um, so they get that and they get it stuck. Um, they are related to the work walls. Um, the, so the work walls are the ones that have the grooved uh, throat that can expand really big, like the blue whale which we just talked about. Um, but they only have two to five of those. Um, and they, so they can expand a little bit, but not as much as the work walls do. And they're actually done some genetics when I was looking at it um, that are kind of are evolutionarily putting them with the work walls um, from how they uh, evolved which is interesting. Um, but so they can, they can expand a little bit, but not as much as those big guys. Um, so the really, really cool thing, my favorite thing to talk about with this is that you can see these feeding pits. So imagine a 50 foot, 50, uh, 49 uh, ton, I think is what I had. Um, very large animal, like 40 ton, 50 foot, digging a trench. How big that trench would be? <laughs> a little large. So what's cool is that some of our colleagues at Cascadia Research Collective here in the Salish Sea, um, they actually use Google Earth images to find uh, where, where these whales are feeding and look at it tempor temporarily, like where, where, where and when they are feeding at these things. But, so basically, you can, you can look on Google Earth from the satellite imagery and find these feeding pits. You can which, even see them on shore too when the tide goes out in yeah. the Oak Harbor area. Yeah. Yeah, which I I still haven't been I still haven't been able to do, but I've heard that like yeah, once the tide goes out, those pits are there because they're doing it in that shallow water. I was down Literally. in South Whidbey and you could see the pits. Mm-hmm. Uh, so That's cool. So cool. Yeah, because I mean, again, those are big animals, and if you can see their their pectoral fin as they're swooshing along the floor, the, that that's not very deep, and so if you have a good enough tide that goes out, they'll reveal those. Which is pits. why I'm surprised there's not many strandings really. By accident. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And I mean, we, we, the gray whales do strand, but be, because they do that so often, you would think they might have a higher incidence of it, but right. I guess they're just good at what they do. Yeah. They're like, I'm not going to get stuck. I'm going to get out of here before that tide goes out. Because that's the thing. If the tide goes out quicker than they think it is, they could yeah. be in trouble. Difficult. And they're also, they're, they're sided, right? And which side they will yes, turn so on to. Almost always to the right side. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Which, yeah, which is super I don't cool. know if anybody's looked into exactly why, but it's pretty much always the right side. Which is I wonder if the right side has far more scarring then. Yeah, no, I guess it depends on what the, what the sediment is that they're That's true. that they're doing. You know, if it's a soft right. sediment, it's not going to do that as much. Um, and we have some weird ones here called uh, the sounders. Um, also called uh, what else? Are they, they called them the um, North Puget Sound gray whales also known as the Sounders, the Puget Sound Regulars, or the Saratoga Grays. There's about a dozen of them that basically they have these, the, one of the longest migrations of any animal going from Baja California to the Bering Sea and um, up there. But some of them are like, dude, there's some really good food in here. So we're just gonna pop into the Salish Sea and we're gonna hang out here for a few months, get some food, um, feeding mainly on ghost shrimp. And then they head back up to the, their summer feeding grounds. Um, so what's cool is we get, we know these animals. So there's Patch and Little Patch and a couple of these other guys that we, you know, we, we wait to see every year as they come up here and come feed. Um, so it's been interesting that some of them are kind of veering off, uh, and do, doing a slightly different pattern, you know, wherever the food is. Um, one other thing that I wanted to mention, um, with that is that they did some genetic, uh, genetic work and they're s suggesting that they actually have a wider range diet than we have previously thought. 
Hmm. We think it's always just invertebrates, but there are some in some places that they're feeding on herring and um, krill, like their baleen whale cousins, other baleen whale cousins. Um, and that may have helped them in the past and will help them in the future, um, but helped them in the past if, a if some of their food dried up, you know, or feeding grounds were disappeared. They survived that period because they were able to be a bit more wide ranging in what their prey that they took. I thought the sounders were the only ones that, that did that mud sifting. I thought they were the only ones, like I thought gray whales always did like the herring and shrimp and all that. But. Yeah, no, they they all do the benthic stuff, just, huh. yeah. Um, and one of, the, one of the last things, which is really cool, which I was reading about, is that they help, they may help birds eat. Oh, because they're turning right. up more fish? What? Right. So if you think, so my, my idea was like, oh, it's like when you see cattle or horse grazing and you have to see all those egrets all around them because when they're pulling up the grass, they're pulling up the worms and then it makes it easy pickings for the birds. Right. So what they're doing is for bottom feeding birds, like uh, surf scoters, um, they, when they charge that all up, the surf scoters have basically easier, easier prey mm. to get to. So they were looking at the um, uh, relationship of when they saw these scooter scoters around these gray whales, um, and then kind of looking about when their migration patterns and how well the scoters were doing that year. You know, they did better that year because they were hanging out with those grays. Gotcha. That's wow. really interesting. Just yeah. another one that goes to show just how interrelated everything is too. You know, you kind of think about, especially whales when they're under the water. Right. And then you, know, you kind of don't think about relations with birds. Exactly. But yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah. So we're all connected from the bottom of the ocean to the skies up above, which is very cool. cool. Yeah. Um, so, and the, the last thing, just as before we wrap up, um, is that these guys may end up eating more trash items than other baleen mm -hmm. whales simply yeah. because they're feeding on the floor. So most everything that goes into the ocean is, you know, some of it's gonna stay in the water column, but a lot of it is going to sink to the bottom. And then they're just, they're scooping everything up. So, right. um, and just another reason to, you know, when you think about throwing something out or you see something on the ground to pick it up and put it in the trash where it should be, because you don't want a gray whale going and grabbing it up when it's trying to eat its crustaceans and isopods and things like that. Yeah, So good point. Yeah. Um, and, it, and again, that can happen with any, any marine mammal, but they get, may just be a little bit more prone to it because of what, where, where they eat. Yeah, makes sense. Um, yeah, so that cool. is, yeah, that is uh, it for our, for our unique foraging strategies this week. Like I said, we, we'll probably do another episode or two or more maybe on these because there are so many different cool ways, even within populations where you have like, say, bottle, we could do one just on bottlenose dolphins and the different ways that they forage around the world. <laughs> Um, so between yep. species and even be within a species, there's lots of interesting stuff. So, yeah. um, anything else to add, guys? Um, if you are a regular listener to the podcast, hopefully, if you're watching this on YouTube, you've already subscribed to our YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. But if you're not, please go do that. And if you are listening on the podcast, thank you so much. And if you Subscribe would like to leave us a review, that mm. would be great. Mm -hmm. um, we are very appreciative of all reviews we get and that will also help our podcast to get seen by more people. So for sure, leave us a review or send us a comment. Let us know if you're enjoying the podcast and if there's anything that you want us to talk about or you'd love to hear more about, we would love to talk about it. That's right. That's right, Cordelia. We My would daughter love to Cordelia talk about and she's like, that's right. You do that. Yes. Tell us all about it. There you go. <laughs> she's getting older now, so it's a little bit harder to keep her quiet during, during things. But that's budding marine mammal science. She's getting into it. 
That's right. She's she's been here for all the stuff. So her first word's <laughs> gonna be like Baleen, right? Which, which would be epic. But anyway, um, but yeah, I think that was it. Yeah. So we'll be back next week, um, probably with a paper review or some other topic. Um, yes, Cordelia. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, for next week, and then beyond that, we'll find out some other marine mammals that we want to talk about and be back here. So yep. without with babies screaming in the background. That's it. <laughs> That's it from us. That's it. Bye. Bye. This was brought to you by Pacific Mammal Research, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. To learn more about the species we discuss, check out our blog. Head to our website, www.pacmam.org, that's P-A-C-M-A-M.org, to check it out. Also, help us continue providing fun and educational content like this by donating today. Your help is how we can continue to do our work and share it with you. Thanks.